chapter 7. We're going to finish this chapter this week. We're in verses 36. We'll go all the way through the end of the chapter into verse 50. Uh, this morning, as we uh, are mindful of what we're praying for, I um, also want to pray for our brothers and sisters at the Vineyard Church, uh, Pastor Luke and Pastor Alex, and the rest of the congregation that meets there together on Sunday mornings. Uh, we'll pray for them. Um, and uh, I want to remind you, Jesus loves you. And that God is always doing good for you. And there's a, another passage of scripture that reminds us of this, right? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And um, in Psalm 136, verse 26, a short piece of scripture, but it, 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 it's, it, I think it's applicable to even where we're at this morning because, you know, when we realize what God's done for us, how much he loves us, the good that he's doing for us, it should should lift you up on the inside and cause you to praise God. And this is exactly what the psalmist says. He says, give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Amen? Amen. All right, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that we are about to read and study, this account, God, of this known sinner woman. Uh, Really, uh, we know she was a real person, maybe... Mary of Magdalene, and um, even though we're not given her name here, God, we, we can certainly relate as those who are aware that we are sinners in need of a Savior. So Lord, speak to us, remind us again of your great love as we see um, your love extended to this woman in this account that Luke recorded for us. And Father, uh, may you please, Lord, bless us here this morning with the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would be teaching us and our minds and our hearts would be open to receive, Lord, that we may be able to be discerning and understand. You, your word tells us that we, as the natural man, can't understand spiritual things. It requires the spirit man, and you placed your spirit in us. And so, Lord, we open ourselves up to you this morning. And, Lord, I pray that I would just be a mouthpiece, your vessel, uh, a delivery system, Lord, to uh, communicate your will, and your word to us. And we also want to pray for brothers and sisters at the Vineyard Church this morning, Lord. Pray for that all have had a safe travel there, and will have safe travel back home to wherever they're going. I pray you continue to bless those people who come to seek you and know you more, and our brothers and sisters there. I pray, God, that they would be led into the truth. I pray, Lord, that um, they would find peace and comfort in you today. Pray for Pastor Alex and for Pastor Luke, Lord. Ask that you would give them wisdom as they minister to those you bring to them. Give them love and compassion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we've been in this chapter for a few weeks now, but I want to just point out that if we spend just a little bit of time, a few minutes, trying to briefly review this chapter as we come to the end of it, um, that we could summarize what it's all about. I don't want to go over everything again, but I do want to give you a real quick way of of looking at this chapter. We can summarize what it's all about by breaking it down into three parts and then describing each part with one word. So if you're taking notes, please, please look at it like this. Part one can be described, the first part of this chapter, by one word, and that word is faith. Part two would be hope, and in these final verses is part three, which can be described, described with one single word, the word love, faith, hope, and love. And you know what? That's a theme throughout all of Scripture. 
And if you read a lot of the epistles that are written by Paul, he talks about that specifically, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And in the first part, we saw a demonstration of great faith in Jesus and in the power and authority that he has as, as demonstrated by a Roman centurion, a Gentile, uh, who lived in the city of Capernaum. And this great faith, we were told, is what called or is what, what caused Jesus to marvel um, uh, and it says that Jesus marveled over his faith, and even this, even this faith moved Jesus to give this command, a command to honor this request to heal the centurion's servant who was sick and ready to die. Then in the second part of this chapter, we went on to read about the heart of compassion that Jesus has for those who are suffering. And we were told how he traveled to the city of Nine in order to give hope to a widow woman a widow woman who had lost her only son. And, and Jesus, uh, as we recognize through this account, as, as he's, he, his credentials are being given and he's being, his, his validity is, is being shown to the claims that he's making. And, and so Jesus, who is the only begotten son of God, um, compassionately in that account, filled the heart of this grieving woman with hope. When, when all other hope was lost by, lost by raising her son back to life. Likewise, when we, when we read about John the Baptist in that same, uh, same week last week, who had been in that account at that time, unjustly locked up in prison and, and, and was losing hope, we read about that situation and the doubts that filled his heart. Consequently, when he had heard about Jesus, about what Jesus was doing while he was there in prison, we know John sent some of his disciples, to Jesus, to ask this question, are you the coming one, or do we seek another? Do we look for another? But when Jesus sent John's disciples back to him with the answer that he had given, Jesus lovingly addressed John's doubts in that moment and proved to him and reassured him that he is the Messiah, the merciful Messiah, who in fulfillment of prophecy had come to make the blind see, the lame walk, the leper clean, the deaf hear, and to raise the dead back to life, and as Jesus said, to preach the good news message to the poor. Now, this morning, in this last section of chapter 7, we're going to read about the love aspect of this chapter, specifically the great love of God the great love that God has for us, the great love of God to forgive a sinner, but also about the love of a sinner who had been weighed down and who had been crushed by her sins and how she had found rest and forgiveness for her weary soul and for her broken life there literally at the feet of Jesus. So if you'll look with me to chapter 7, picking back up in verse 36, it says here, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and when he, Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fresh oil. And she stood at the feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is 
who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor, verse 41, who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have, you have rightly judged. Then he, Jesus, verse 44, turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with, her, with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right. Um, you guys want to look back to the beginning here in verse 36. We see that in this account, um, well, let's give a little bit of context. Um, in light of the fact that the Pharisees hated Jesus, right, at this time, they were even plotting to kill him. They had plotted to trap him many times in the things that he had did, in the things that he had said. And so we know that at this time, the Pharisees hated Jesus. And by this time that we're reading here, they had even determined to get rid of him. And in light of that, it seems odd that one of them would invite Jesus to eat with him, right? But perhaps this Pharisee was one of the few, like Nicodemus, who we will also read about, um, one of the few who were seeking the truth. Even though the Pharisees are always looked at in a negative light here, we know that some of them did believe. They came to believe. And so perhaps this is, Simon is, is one who is seeking truth, or perhaps this Pharisee had invited Jesus to dinner so that he could just further um, propagate the, the Pharisees' plans and try to trick Jesus or to find something to accuse him of like the Pharisees had been already trying to do. And, and here it is. I'm just going to say it. it's just my opinion because we're not told for sure. But as I read the text and discern things, I would suggest to you that this is probably the more likely conclusion, that Simon wasn't sincere. And I say that because of the words of displeasure that we read here that Simon spoke to himself in verse 29 or in verse 39 after seeing um, what Jesus let this woman do with him. But also because of the way that Simon had treated Jesus when he came into his house, considering that it was customary in the Jewish culture at this time for the host to, of the party to provide for the guests' feet to be cleaned before the meal. It was a regular and customary thing. It was, an, it was a show of, 
of, of, of respect. And, 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 and this was a way to honor your guest as well as serve a very practical purpose because most roads were unpaved. And since the normal foot attire was sandals at that day, it was not uncommon for people's feet to be dirty. And when you ate a meal like this, it was in a lounging position on the ground on, on a couch. So it was very likely that as your feet were extended out, someone else's head was there. So, and, and Simon did not extend this courtesy. He, 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 whether it was intentional or overlooked, we don't know for sure, but it did not happen. Yet when we read on in this account, we're told that Simon, he had not provided for Jesus' feet to be clean. However, this anonymous, because she is not, we're not told her name. Some speculate, like I said, that it was Mary Magdala, um, but, but, um, this anonymous sinner woman who was more than likely, others speculate too, the reason why she was a known sinner is because she was a prostitute, a known prostitute in the city, that she herself took it upon herself and willingly did what Simon was, would not do, what he had not done. Now, it's important to point out that prior to this event, because there's things leading up to this that Luke doesn't really account for us that the other Gospels account that gives us a bigger picture, a, a little bit more insight. And so I want to point out to you that prior to this event, Jesus had just addressed the crowds of people who had been following him, remember? And he had, he had even praised John the Baptist, we studied that at the end of our study last week and pointed out that there was no greater prophet than John, the prophet of all prophets. And then Jesus proceeded to condemn the Pharisees for rejecting John the Baptist and for rejecting him. But one of the things that Matthew's gospel account records for us, that Luke's gospel account leaves out, is that at that time, in that place, in that moment, to those crowds of people in this very city where Jesus is still at, eating a meal with Simon, it says that Jesus um, gave an open invitation, Matthew's gospel tells us. That Jesus gave gave an open invitation that extended to the crowds of the people at that time, telling them to come to him, and he gave them a promise to give them rest. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said this. He said in verse 28, he said, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the invitation and the promise that Jesus spoke to these crowds of people. And I mention this because it seems like to me, in this account as we see these events taking place now, that this woman whose sin was publicly known, possibly because she was a prostitute, she had heard Jesus extend this invitation. She had heard Jesus make these promises, and and now she responded to that invitation, seeking that promise by putting her faith in and trusting Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, is she had been obviously transformed. And now in verse 37, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she had to come. And she came publicly to Jesus And we see that she gave him her love, 
In doing so, she, re, she, according to verse 38, if you look, it says that she came and she first she stood at the feet of the Jesus, who at this point would have been reclined on the floor, on a couch, at a banquet table, and then she had to have knelt down humbly to wash his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them clean with her hair. And then she kissed his feet. And apparently she, she didn't stop even the whole time when Jesus was speaking to Simon. She was kissing his feet and then she anointed him with this, this, this flask, this alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Very precious, very valuable. And in doing so, we see that, in doing so, what we should see, guys, and, and this is so important, it's so easy to skip over but it's so important in regards to our own relationship to the Lord. What we need to see is that um, she did the whole thing herself, okay, first of all. And all that she did was for and to Jesus. She did it herself, and all that she did was for and to Jesus. And I think this is important for us to take note of because it reminds me, it should remind us of who we serve. Who do you serve? It should remind us of who we serve, and it should remind us that all our acts of service needs to be done with the perspective that they are ultimately and primarily for and to Jesus. That's the reason why I stand up here this morning. I love you guys, I care, and I'm grateful that you're here. But if it's not for and to Jesus, then it's a mistake. If it was just to you or to, to, for any other motive, for any other reason, for why I serve the Lord or for why you serve the Lord, then it's wrong. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, she served Christ himself. It was neither service to Peter nor James nor John nor yet to the poor or sick of the city, but to the master himself and depend on it. When our love is active, when our love is in active exercise, Charles says, he says, our holiness will be immediately towards Christ. We shall sing to him. We shall pray to him, teach for him, preach for him, and ultimately live to him. Now what took place that day in Simon's house was a shocking thing. It was. I mean, if we saw something like that take place today, even though we don't have the custom of washing one another's feet, it would still be a shocking thing. It was shocking not only because of what the woman had done, but also because of who she was, right? A known sinner, And, and it was shocking because of many cultural things. First of all, the Jewish rabbis, the Jewish teachers, which Jesus was considered at this time a rabbi, Jewish rabbis did not even speak to women in public. And a woman like this, whose sins were publicly known, would have never been welcomed into a Pharisee's house like Simon. She didn't come in by Simon's invite. But then to see what took place after that, then to allow for Jesus to allow for her to do what, 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 what was taking place, for, to allow 
um, her to do what, <laughs> what Jesus was allowing, it would have been an abomination. Even though we see it as a sweet, loving thing, as an act of worship, in that moment, in Simon's eyes, and the rest of the people that were there, probably other Pharisees of Simon's friends, this would have been an abomination in their eyes. And, 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 and that's why we read Simon's response again in verse 39. His response is somewhat appropriate if you would have been there in the time. It's unloving, it's unkind, it's self-righteous, but it's not without reason. And it says, now when the Pharisee in verse 39 who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, and, and, and again, maybe Simon was a true seeker. But, but in seeking the truth, we see that he missed it because of some things going on in his own heart, which is revealed here. He, he makes a judgment on Christ based upon this, and, and, and he had his wrong perspective, perspective of who Jesus is and what Jesus had come to do, the Messiah, as so many did. And, and we talked about that last week, but he said this to himself. He said, this man, if he were a prophet, in other words, if this man was the Messiah, if he was the, 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 the one who was to come, if he was a man of God, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He says, and Jesus answered and said to him, I love it that Simon is, is answered by Jesus without Jesus even asking Simon what he's thinking. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, he said teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had Nothing to which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell, tell me, there, therefore, which of them will love more? And of course, Simon answers in verse 43, the obvious answer to the question, and said, even though it's obvious, he says, well, I suppose, right? Um, kind of averting the answer. He says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, Simon, you have, you have rightly judged. Now, when this uninvited woman Guys, when this one invited woman made her way into Simon's house, we see some things. First of all, we see courage, right? Courage. Culturally and societally speaking, she should not have been there. She was not welcome there except for the invitation of Jesus. So many times that's true in our own society, maybe even in some of the churches that we, we have may never be like that here where, where, where we have this judgmental or condemning heart it holds people off at a distance when we go, why are you doing, what are you doing here when we know that the Jesus has extended an invitation to all to come to him? And it takes courage. When you've been out there in the world, do you remember when you first walked into a church? <laughs> what kind of people are they going to find when they come here? Are they going to find Simons or are they going to find Jesus She had courage. Not only that, she had determination. Two things I think that God calls us to have, courage and determination. And her determination was seen in her expression of her love for Jesus. And it was a very bold thing for a woman like her with a quote-unquote sinful reputation to come into the house of a Pharisee. And it's very likely that her presence would have, would have probably caused Simon to be embarrassed, Right? After all, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader who was well-known, well-respected in the community, someone who did not associate with known sinners like this. So when Simon saw that Jesus 
did not prevent this woman from touching him. All of Simon's, I think, suspicions at this point were confirmed in his mind. And in verse 39, we're told how Simon concluded that Jesus was a fraud and he could not have been a man of God. And he wrongly believed that if Jesus had known what type of woman this was, then he would not let her do what she was doing. But this is exactly the type of people that Jesus wants to come to him. But Jesus knew exactly what type of woman this was, and he even, we're told, knew the thoughts of Simon, the thoughts that Simon had been speaking to himself. And so Jesus challenged Simon, and um, he told him this story, this parable about two people who had a debt. One person's debt was very great, 500 denarii. That's equivalent to about today's, it's about a, a whole year and a half's salary. What you can make in one and a half years, that's how much 500 denarii is. The other person's debt was 10 times as less, 50, which is about two months' wages. Great difference here in the amount that they owed. However, both people in this account, were told, had no way to pay this debt that they owed. Yet the person to whom they owed this debt Two, freely forgave them both. In light of this, Jesus asked the question, which one of them will love him more? In doing so, what we see, what we need to see first is that Jesus was working on Simon's heart. Jesus cared about Simon, even though Simon was, in a, was hard-hearted, he was in a bad spot. Jesus cared about Simon. And we see that Jesus was, was attempting to penetrate Simon's self-righteous attitude to go beyond his spiritual blindness and, and go deep into his heart. And Jesus did this with the story. And now we need to understand that this parable Jesus told, please hear this, it does not deal with the amount of sin in a person's life. That's not the focus of this. The 500 and the 50 in regards to the debt doesn't translate, spiritually speaking, for us to see it as, as like, well, one sin 50 times and the other 500. It's, it's, not, it's not about the amount of sin in a person's life. It's designed to point us to a person's awareness of their sin. And the Bible teaches us about this in 2 James chapter 2, verse 10. It says that even if we keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, we're guilty of all, right? It's not about how much we've sinned or what sins we've done. It's, it's, it's an issue of our awareness of the sin. That's why Christ went to, to explain. So with all this parable, we see that Jesus was offering Simon an explanation for the woman's actions, right? This is why she's doing what she's done, Simon, but he was also showing Simon that, that, that he, Simon, and this woman, Jesus was also showing them that they were much alike. Simon, you sit here and you look at her, and you may say that she has a debt of 500. She's a known sinner. And, and Simon was completely blind, I think, in this instance, to the fact that he was the guy, with, in his perspective, with only 50 denarii in debt. But again, it wasn't about the mount, it's this, this understanding of a realization. And, 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 and even though they were both sinners, clearly what we see in this account is that Simon did not realize it. Simon didn't realize it. He was, he was just as spiritually, he didn't realize that he was just as spiritually bankrupt as the woman. In fact, it was Simon's sin of pride and, and, and self-righteousness that brought about this spiritual blindness. And not only that, but this really critical spirit of those around him, not of just the woman, 
who is a known sinner, but also a critical spirit of Jesus. This man must not be a prophet of God. He cannot be. Look at what he's doing. He said about the woman, she is a sinner. But what needed, but, but what he needed to say was the thing that we all need to say. I am a sinner. And so the only difference between Simon and this woman was the fact that she knew that she was a sinner and realized just how much she had been forgiven. While Simon was unaware of his sin and unaware of the fact that he also owed a debt that he could not pay. Sadly, Simon's attitude reminds us of another parable that Jesus would, would speak that applies to this situation. It's later on in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And it says that Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, trusted that they were righteous, and in doing so, they despised others. The two always go hand in hand. It's not separate. You can't separate that. Your self-righteousness, your pride, and despising of others. Critical spirit. But anyway, Jesus said two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, he, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So after Jesus dealt with Simon's sinfulness and this self-righteous attitude, he then sought to address the woman, this known sinner. And he says, in verse 44, he said, as, as he turned to the woman, he turned to look at the woman, and he's speaking to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? He says, Simon, I entered in your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears, and she has wiped them with the, with the hair of her head. And you give me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You do not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, <clears throat> are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, that same loves little. And then he said to her, what awesome words. Words of reassurance, words of hope, words of love. Your sins are forgiven. So in turning to look at this woman while he continued to talk to Simon, Jesus proceeded to make this parable come alive right there in that room in that very moment as he applied it to this woman who was still at his feet. And in doing so, Jesus says in verse 47 that this woman who had been forgiven much, this woman, that this woman had been forgiven much and therefore she loved Jesus much. And by this, Jesus made the point that a sinner, quote unquote, a sinner, who is forgiven, is naturally going to love. And he's going to thank the one who has forgiven them. And in this situation, it was very clear that Simon's treatment of Jesus was very different from the woman's, right? There's a, 
is a great contrast here for us in this account. She was, she was demonstrating that she loved Jesus. Why? Because she realized that she was a sinner who had been given, forgiven much. In contrast, Simon, he saw himself as righteous, as pure. And this is why he, in his mind, did not need to treat Jesus in any special manner. In fact, he didn't even extend to Jesus the normal customs and courtesies of that day when he failed just simply to wash the feet of Jesus or to have his servants, as was the custom, his servants to wash the feet of Jesus. But sadly, Simon was not only deceiving himself as he was blind to the fact that this woman was really, she was just a hurting and humble person who was seeking forgiveness and pouring out her love for Jesus. But he was also blind to the fact that he himself was a sinner in need of a, sa- of a Savior to forgive his own sins. And he was also blind to the fact that Jesus, here's the most important thing that he was blind to, and we shouldn't overlook this in this account. Jesus just didn't want to only heal and forgive the, the woman who was a known sinner. He wanted to heal and, and, and forgive Simon as well. That's why Jesus was there. And Simon was blind to that fact that Jesus wanted to and that Jesus was willing to forgive Simon of his sins and to save him if he would also put his faith in him. And I'm here to tell you this morning that this blindness that Simon examples in every aspect and what Jesus so graciously exposed are things that we must be guarding our heart against. Guarding ourselves against, lest we cast that first stone of condemnation at those who are hurting, lest we forget that we too are sinners in need of a Savior. And as a matter of fact, we're warned against this. We're, we're, we're spoken towards this thing in 1 John. The Apostle John writes in, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10, he says, he says he's speaking to the church, John is. And he's speaking to us this morning. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Why would we do that? But we do. We come to the Lord and we, we, we recognize that we need a Savior. We confess our sin. God's faithful and just to, to forgive us of our sins. But that doesn't mean that we don't go on still in this sin nature until the day when Christ comes back. It's not an excuse, but it's the truth. We are only righteous because of His righteousness. And so John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yet if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And maybe it's not an issue of just saying we're not sinners any longer, but we go like this, we'll do this. Well, at least I'm not like that person anymore, and we're like the Pharisee who stands in, in the house of God praying and going, thank you, God, that I'm no longer like that guy. And God has done mighty works in our lives. He has changed us. He has made us different. I'm not the same guy that I once was, but without Jesus, I'm that and more. Without Him. Only because of Jesus. So if we say that we have not sinned, we, it says, make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Verse 48 It says, then he said to her again, your sins are forgiven. You know, I read this account, and it's very likely from what we can see here that 
that, that Jesus may have had an encounter with this woman previous to this where her sins were forgiven. Jesus speaks in the past tense almost here. But yet she comes and she worships Jesus. She pours out her love as an act of, of response. And, and, and I like to maybe look at it in that light because for the first time perhaps she's hearing this affirmation, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven you. And I'm telling you what, there are times when I'm so discouraged by myself, my circumstances, my situation, where I'm doubting and I'm fearful. And even though I've had a God encounter, I still need to hear my Savior say to me today, your sins are forgiven. I paid the debt. I paid the price. I did for you what you could not do. Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him begin to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And of course, the legalistic critics at the dinner were shocked when Jesus said this to the woman, your sins are forgiven you. But in this last contrast of this story, this last aspect of the story, it's very clear. We have to choose daily which people we want to be. And they were shocked because by saying this, what we ultimately know is that Jesus again was making the claim to be God, and this was not the first time he had done this. As a matter of fact, back in Luke chapter 5, we were first read about this, an event like this where Jesus said that he would forgive a person's sins. And is what he did for the paralyzed man, if you remember, the one who was lowered through Peter's roof there in Capernaum by his friends. And at that time, Jesus received the same reaction from his critics. Yet to prove that he had the power, he has the power and the authority as the only begotten Son of God to forgive sins, we know that Jesus healed that paralytic man and he commanded him in the presence of all there to get up and walk and to take his bed. And the point is, is Jesus as the Son of God clearly claimed to be God's equal. Equal in the sense that he, forgi- that he could forgive this woman's sins and that he can and does and wants to forgive our sins as well. Why? Why does he have this power? Why does he have this authority? Why can he make this claim? Why can we rest in the promises of forgiveness of sin? Because he would die for the sin. He could tell this woman her sins were forgiven her because he would die for the sins that she had committed. And he also has died for the sins that we've committed. And in light of this, we need to take note of Jesus' words here because these words of forgiveness need to take note that these words were not just cheap words you know, spoken rashly. Why? Because they cost him. They cost him dearly. There on the cross, and the cool thing to point out is that this woman could know that she was forgiven because Jesus told her so. That's enough. And I'm here to tell you this morning, because Jesus says you're forgiven, that's enough. It is the truth. And you are. I am. 
And in the same way, we can rest assured that our sins are forgiven because of what, of God, what God has spoken to us through his word in passages of scripture like Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, where it says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And the other cool thing to point out is that when Jesus said to her in verse 50, your faith has saved you, he also said to her this, don't miss it, he said what? Go in peace. In the Greek, this literally reads, I like it better, it says, it says it's not just go in peace, it says go into peace. Your faith has saved you. Go into peace. Enter into peace. And when you know that your sins are forgiven and that you have an eternal destination that has been changed because of the love of God, because of the work of God, there's peace. You enter into the place of peace. The point is, as a result of the forgiveness and salvation that Jesus gave to this woman, she, for the very first time in her life, had peace with God. And ultimately, that's what Jesus was bringing her to when he said, remember, your sins are forgiven you. Your faith has saved you. Go into peace. Go into that place of peace. And for the first time in her life, she realized that ultimately that she had been brought into this place of peace where she had peace with God, restored back to God. And she, as we do when we come to Jesus in faith, guys, we move from the place where we were once enemies of God and into the place where we are now at peace with God. Seth, if you want to come up in closing, I want to point out that when, guys, when we look back over this chapter, when, G when Jesus healed the centurion's servant, it was a great miracle, Right? Jesus did not walk to the house or into the house. He didn't have to touch the, the servant. And the, and the centurion knew it. Jesus spoke the word and then he was healed. He was sick to the place of death. But there was even a greater miracle that we witnessed in this chapter when Jesus raised the widow's son from dead, from death. Out of, out of the coffin. But in this last part of this chapter... I think we see the greatest miracle of all when Jesus saved this woman from her sins and made her a new person. And by far, if you want to have a, a, a miracle scale, right, the miracle of God's forgiveness and of God's salvation is the greatest miracle of all. For it meets the greatest need. God's salvation meets the greatest need. God's salvation, the miracle of God's salvation and our forgiveness of our sins, it brings the greatest result. It lasts forever. His love endures forever, the psalmist told us this morning. But also, it's the greatest miracle that God has done for us in regards to grace and forgiveness because it costs the greatest price cost the greatest price. Jesus would have to die for these words that he would speak to her. Your sins are forgiven you. The count of the sinner woman who loved much encourages us to believe that Jesus can take any sinner and make him into a child of God. But listen, I want to truly end with this. Listen, God's forgiveness is not automatic. And there's somebody here I know that needs to hear this this morning, maybe all of us, I don't know, again. See, God's forgiveness is not automatic. We, like Simon, can re reject 
God's grace if we so choose to do so. Let me give you an, a, a story, a true story. In 1830, there was a man named George Wilson. He was arrested for mail theft. And at that time, the penalty for mail theft was hanging. George Wilson. Well, after a time, President Andrew Jackson gave Wilson a pardon. But George Wilson refused to accept it, facing death. The authorities were puzzled. Should Wilson be freed or hanged? They consulted the chief justice at the time, John Marshall, who handed down this decision. Quote, A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. In light of this, I want to point out to you this morning that if you have never accepted God's pardon, now is the time to believe and to be saved. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has not accepted that pardon which you've given, that You've paid for us with your own life. I pray, God, that they would receive it and accept it. We would not hold back. That they would come, Lord, like this woman, unashamed, courageous, and determined, Lord, to receive the gift that you have and to express their love and gratitude for it. Lord, we love you. And we so worship you this morning as God of the universe as Savior of our souls, as the healer of our broken hearts, as the forgiver of our sins. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There will be three people up.